Jack the Ripper, who has been called the first modern serial killer, killed at least five women, and possibly more, in London in 1888. He was the subject of a massive manhunt and investigation by the Metropolitan Police, during which many modern criminal investigation techniques were pioneered. The Ripper murders also marked an important watershed in the treatment of crime by journalists. While not the first serial killer in history, Jack the Ripper's case was the first to create a worldwide media frenzy. The dramatic murders of financially destitute women in the midst of the wealth of London focused the media's attention on the plight of the urban poor and gained coverage worldwide. Jack the Ripper has also been called the most infamous serial killer of all time and his legend has spawned hundreds of theories on his real identity and many works of fiction. H.H. H. Holmes was one of the first documented modern serial killers in the United States, responsible for the death of at least nine victims in the early 1890s. The gaze gained notoriety and wide publicity through possibly sensationalized accounts in William Randolph Hearst's newspapers. At the same time in France, Joseph Facker became known as the French Ripper after killing and mutilating 11 women and children. The serial killing phenomenon was especially prominent from 1970 to 2000, which has been described as the golden age of serial murder. The Philippines is known for being copycats of famous ideas in the West. Why is it that we didn't get FOMO and jump on the serial killer trend? Everyone, welcome to Banana Key Podcast. For today's topic, we have a special guest, a subject matter expert on true crime, Christine. She is a podcaster who hosts Lagim, a Filipino true crime podcast. Hi, Christine. Hi. Hi to all your listeners. Hi there. So to start off, can you define what is a serial killer? Is there a specific criteria that needs to be met before someone can be classified as one? If you ask different experts, there would be a lot of small differences, but definitely overlap. So I, w- I, I would think that a serial killer sort of in a very generalist way can be defined as someone who murders three or more people. Usually the motive is some sort of weird, abnormal, psychological gratification. Mm-hmm. And I think from the perspective of sort of a generalist police perspective, if the murders take place over more than a month, including a significant period of time sort of between them, if someone kills maybe three or four people within like six weeks or five weeks, then I think for the police to start, you know, acknowledging that, oh, hey, we have a serial killer on hand here, then it's it's safe to say that it is a serial killer. killer that they have to deal with. They have to look for one person. They have to look for crimes that fit sort of, you know, the evidence that they find in all those maybe four other murders. If, for example, a lot of serial killers, they leave maybe signs or tr- or take trophies with them. Mm-hmm. Some of the more controversial, bigger serial killers in history would leave maybe a mark or they vandalize the room in a certain way or write something on the wall or they take something from the victim. So a lot of serial killers as well in history uh, would take, for example, maybe a pair of earrings or a mm. necklace, or they cut a strand of her hair, which is very perverted if you think about it, that they want a piece of their victims with them. But usually, as as horrible as these things may sound, these are the things that will help the police, you know, as soon as they arrive <laughs> to the, the conclusion and the acknowledgement that, mm-hmm. yes, we have a serial killer, and now we have to look at all other murders, sort of, that we've recorded in the past, maybe two, three months and maybe we'll find other victims that died in the similar way so mm. then you know that would define sort of serial killing in the world the threshold might be different but generally that's sort of how i would define a serial killer or serial killing if you kill three people but you kill them all within the span of a day then that's not a serial killer that would be a massacre or something right 
there are overlaps there. So we could be talking about a serial killer who also happens to be a spree killer. Oh, a spree killer is somebody who just goes around sort of there's there's no sense and logic. There's no planning there. Somebody who just goes around just kills people. Mm-hmm. He or she would just go on like walk out the door. Today is the day I'm going to kill random people. I, I see somebody I'm going to shot shoot that person. I go to the next block and shoot two people. Not all spree killers are serious serial killers i suppose mm-hmm. but you could also be somebody who would go on a spree and then go in hiding and then you go on a spree again and then maybe that can be considered as a, a serial killer behavior but i'm not quite sure how the police would define that specifically but i would say there are overlaps there mm-hmm. and then you mentioned mass killing as well so there are people who would just find themselves in one sort of event where they kill a lot of people in one period of time i'm thinking of the maguindanao massacre for example Yeah, the one you mentioned in your podcast. Yeah. So that's not a serial killing, right? No, no. A hallmark of serial killers is that a lot of them can be very meticulous and can plan it so well. And that's why some of them, it takes years, maybe decades to get caught. Yeah. And that's the scary part for me, I mean, personally. They're so good and smart about it. Like, oh my God, I don't have a chance. A lot of them are actually, as you said, they have high IQ, right? Like, I think was it Ted Bundy. He had quite a high IQ, didn't he? And that is why yeah. it took a while for him to get caught because he's intelligent. He planned his killings well. Yeah, and also they can be very charming. Yes, and also that like in the community, he seems like a nice guy who is smart and exactly. and well-liked. And it's impossible that I would think that he is a killer. It doesn't seem that he fits the bill. These are people who can be very charming and can blend in. And some of them can be very patient. They don't manifest or demonstrate the spree killer behavior where everything is just so chaotic and gulo-gulo. Like they just go on killing. No. Some of them can be really strategic and they research everything, which is a scary part because with every killing, they grow smarter and smarter. So it's basically, mm. if you think about it, if they're like an AI robot with every killing, they learn something new and then they just get smarter and smarter. And then for the police, before they catch on, that person might already have killed five or six people and has already gotten so much smarter about the crime that the police are just learning about him or her. And so it's difficult to catch up. And that's why it's so scary. I think with Ted Bundy, he worked in local government. I think he campaigned for a political figure. Oh, okay. Didn't know this. He was a law student. And that personally, like that shook me because, you know, I, as a former lawyer, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, like how many of the people that I've studied law maybe had serial killer tendencies? <laughs> yeah. Oh no. He had a way with words. He was a good rhetoric. Mm-hmm. He just knew how to talk to people to, to the point that he would befriend the jail guards and he escaped prison or he escaped detention twice because people just gravitated towards his personality and thought, oh, sure, he's not a danger to society anymore. I'm like, oh, "Oh, he killed people, hello, you know. (laughs) He was very charismatic. Yeah, but I can imagine there are people like him in the Philippines, right? But but I don't know if they are serial killers, obviously. But usually they are people in positions of power, like maybe politicians, maybe they're the CEOs Mm. or the, you know, high flyers in our corporate companies. Yeah. So I guess my next question is, are there actually serial killers in the Philippines? The Philippines is such an interesting case study when it comes to serial killing because it's mind-boggling how we look to the US, to the UK, all these sort of English-speaking countries, mm-hmm. and immediately there's at least one or two people that true crime fanatics can name who are serial killers who are at least world famous. But you look at the Philippines and you're scratching your head of like, oh, well, um, no, we don't know. Like, Mm-hmm. We know people from Japan. We we know people from China who were serial killers. But in the Philippines, it's quite difficult. I know that from my own research as a true crime fan, there is one very popular one. And it's weird that this person is essentially from our Spanish colonial times. So he's the one, he's considered as the first recorded serial killer um, within the Philippines. And this was um, during the colonial times. So he was actually a priest, which is ironic. So a priest, okay. What was his name? His name was Juan Severino Malari. So he was based in Magalang, Pampanga. He was a parish priest there in 1816 to 1826. Mm -hmm. So the records are not complete. So they're also very patchy. 
And the little that we know about Father Malari was that people already sort of noticed when he was assigned to Magalang that there might be some mental illness. His fellow clergyman just sort of ignored it. And it's a very Filipino way, isn't it? Yeah. When it comes to mental health, it's still very much a taboo. So we tend to like sort of just, oh, we'll brush it off. Ay, wala, okay lang yan, okay lang siya. Kailangan lang ng tulog, pakainin mo lang, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just brushed it off. I, I guess he just tried to live his life with whatever mental illness he had. So I want to preface this by saying that people with mental illnesses don't usually resort to violence. Very few of them would, uh, let alone to murdering people. But I guess in Father Malari's case, it did turn deadly. How it started was he felt very under pressure by his life as a priest. Because I think even as a priest, there's still work stress, I would imagine, any kind of profession, right? Mm -hmm. So at some point, he believed that his mother was bewitched. Mm -hmm. And then he needed to kill people to free his mother from whatever this bewitched sickness was. So he started killing people. The details of the murders were not really stated in the documents that we have, in the documents that survived all those hundreds and hundreds of years. But in the end, I think he killed around 57 people. Oh my God, that's a lot of people. Yes. If you think of sort of how the barrios and the towns were back in the day, mm -hmm. it shouldn't be a lot sort of in a small town and a small barrio. And if you kill yeah. 57 people, people will notice. Eventually, the authorities caught up with him because, as I said, in colonial Philippines and small towns and parishes like that, people tend to notice. Mm -hmm. The population is not that dense. There are not a lot of people. So eventually there was an investigation. He, he was tried for the murders and he was found guilty. And, you know, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, he was hanged in 1840, making him the first Filipino priest to be executed. Mm. I think it's a sad story yeah. and also a horrifying story because maybe all could have been prevented if somebody actually paid attention to maybe this mental health issue, but we'll never know. And there are two podcasts, Filipino True Crime podcasts, actually, who cover him quite in detail. Ooh. I think it's campfire stories and PH murder stories. So they, they did a two-parter on him. So yeah, oh. just listening if you're interested. Go listen to them. Okay. That was such a long time ago. Was there something a bit more recent, maybe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so difficult, isn't it? Because um, I think from, from my research, I really found it hard to like... Most of the records of Filipinos thought might have been serial killers. Mm -hmm. the, their stories are very much conflated with myth as well. Oh. Um, and a lot of like rumors and chismes. Okay. <laughs> the, the line between what is what actually happened and oh my God, yung haka-haka lang, like your, your mm -hmm. chismes lang. It's a very... Very blurry. So there's one guy, his name is Warlito Toledo. Mm -hmm. So I think he's from Visaya, so from the Cebu area. It started out as a rumor that he may have witnessed the murder of his wife, and that may have driven him out of his mind. I see. Yeah, and as a reaction of him witnessing that and maybe snapping and something happening in his mind, he then went on to do the same to others. Mm. And trigger warning to everybody, but he did not only kill them, he first sexually assaulted, uh. so made mostly women before killing them. But also, and that, that's why sometimes these stories are very, the lines between myth chismes and facts are very blurry because in other versions it was said that he actually killed the wife and then apparently he enjoyed it so much and then he then started killing all these people so you know so you've got mm. two versions of the story and there's no way to sort of investigate this properly and to confirm and validate all the details but what we do know was that people in Cebu especially in the parts called Compostela, Lapulapo Consolacion, they were all very very terrorized and people were genuinely scared and at some point it was recorded that he ended up killing as many as 40 people in one day. What? So this is when the spree killing and the serial killing overlap. I see. It's horrible. So people, I can imagine like, you know, after the sun is gone, people are just like scramming into their homes. Like, no, let's not stay out because Warlito Toledo might be out there. 
in the end, how many did he kill? A total of there's no definite number. I think because I think he's still at large. Oh my god! Um, okay, we never actually caught him. The body count is sort of very it's varying, but we we do know about these 40 people in one day. So that was definitely recorded, and he he might be dead already. So this happened, I think, in if I'm not mistaken, in the 80s. Uh huh. He's now become a bit of a an urban myth, I suppose, within Cebu, and I think the myth of Warlito Toledo had not become really that known before true crime bloggers and true crime podcasts and true crime YouTubers. So people from Manila and Mindanao would not even know about him. Yeah, I've never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. And then there's another guy, weirdly enough, also from the Visayas area. Okay. I've only found his first name. So I think his name is Armando. He lived in the 90s, somewhere in Negros. And he was a son of a powerful family. Mm-hmm. You know, he was one of those, you know, typical rich boy with a rich boy attitude. He would like, oh, you know, you met Jumayabang. He would mm-hmm. date all the girls, you know, has a lot of money to throw around. Mm-hmm. And the girls also gravitated towards him. But at some point, he started killing his dates. So he would date women and then he would kill them, uh, which is a horrible thing because yeah. if you if you don't know him and you end up being attracted to him and then here you are, you're the next victim. Yeah, I feel really bad for these women. Yeah, I mean, you're just out on a date and then suddenly just get killed. Yeah, you know, you go on a date, you want to have a good time, you know, might end up having a boyfriend or husband not getting killed, right? Yeah. <laughs> so people were very paranoid as well in whatever town this was, because I never, I could never get the exact town in my research. People, for good reason, were paranoid and were very ready to take their revenge on him. But because he is this powerful, you know, from a rich family, it looked to people like the police and the government were, or the local government, were almost protecting him. Oh, God. Yeah, so there was always this impression that no, not really, we're not going to investigate him. Oh, no, we're going to protect him. He walked around in a bulletproof vest. He was very paranoid himself because he knew what he's done to all those women, and he knew that people were out to get him because people were angry and paranoid as well. At some point in the 90s, he did end up getting assassinated. So all those protection from the government and the police and his bulletproof vest didn't really do him any good uh, because the mob, the angry community had had enough and some men ended up shooting him in broad daylight and yeah and he was killed and that put an end to his serial killing which I don't know how to feel about it it's vigilante justice I mean, if I were watching a movie and this is what happened, right, you would feel a sense of justification. Like, the mob was right. Like, you know, the government was not doing its job. So it was only right. In the end, they got justice for all the women that he killed. But of course, if you think about it, it, it's not really right as well. No, it's it's very conflicting. I feel conflicted about this as well. Yeah. yeah, and it's very valid to feel conflicted about it because if you were one of those families whose daughter got killed by him, you'd feel like, yeah, definitely, it's a mm-hmm, good thing mm-hmm. that he got killed. You know, just stop him from killing all our girls, all our women, all our daughters. Yeah. But then if you're looking at this from, I don't know, I think from a sociological or whatever, you know, a criminal point of view, just like, oof, this is like, we're one step away from maybe anarchy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so that's one way to look at it. Yeah, but then it's really painful as well that it had to end this way that the people had to you know do it instead of the government and unfortunately this thing is actually reality for the philippines right Mm -hmm. if you have money you have power basically you can pay a lot of people off so that is why some of the poorer people have to resort to this kind of thing and it's it's really sad it is i think for a lot of the people who cannot afford like the best lawyers the best police protection or cannot bribe their local mayor or congressman these are most filipinos like this is the majority of Filipinos right, who can't do that. When crimes are perpetrated against them and there's no justice, they always feel like it's oppressive. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're hard done by and you feel like, oh, just because I'm poor, I, I can't get justice. And so I can completely understand if they end up then, you know, just taking matters into their own hands because yeah. this is the only way we can feel some sort of justice and peace really in the community. So you mentioned three serial killers. Are those the only three that you've managed to find? Or is, is there those something? are the three that I could find with at least 
enough details to sort of regale our listeners. If you would compare that the number of serial killers that are like are in other countries compared to the Philippines, three is like not really a huge number. And I guess that is why there is a question of why are there few serial killers in the Philippines? Yeah. And that's what we want to tackle. Yeah. <laughs> why ngaba? There's actually an article on EsquireMug.ph which gathered answers to this specific question from a Reddit thread. So we'll discuss those answers here. The first answer given was that chismosa culture. <laughs> so the top comment on that Reddit thread said, and I quote, It's hard to be a serial killer in a country where everyone is so nosy and all up in your business. End of quote. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it makes sense, right? Because the uh, Philippines has such a close-knit community, especially in the yeah. smaller cities or provinces where everybody knows each other very well and you know they would definitely yeah. notice if you act suspicious yeah maybe that stops some people from doing it like in closer knit communities probably before you yeah. even do anything you've already been caught <laughs> <laughs> they're your local detectives the chismosas are your local detectives <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah on one hand the con of having chismosa neighbors or gossipy neighbors is it's annoying because you really cannot do anything without you know your business being blabbered to everybody else but at the same time yeah. I guess the pro is that well then you lead kind of a safer life yeah <laughs> no one can do anything <laughs> bad <laughs> in this particular context I guess you could take the chismosas you know you could take the good with the bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> Just to make sure that nobody gets killed in the community. And I think there is something to this, to, to what you just said there. I know that this Reddit thread is a few years old, but it is truly very different. I mean, I've lived in the West now. So, you know, I came back to Europe when I was about 15, 16. And the sense of neighborhood or that community is very different. It's very different from the Philippines. And, you know, a lot of the sort of Westerners are all about minding your own business. Don't look at the neighbors. Don't look them straight in the eye. No eye contact. You you know, whereas where I came from, where I grew up in Davao, even though it was sort of this sort of slightly middle class subdivision of sorts, everybody still was in everybody's business. Like we knew when people would leave for work. We knew when people would come back. You know, we knew like a couple minutes after somebody died that they've died, you know. And mm, yeah, there's something to this one. And I think we have to thank our local chismosas <laughs> for this. <laughs> yeah, for cultivating this kind of community that prevents yeah. serial killers if, you know, if, if this is the reason why there are no serial killers, then good on them, right? <laughs> yeah, good on them, definitely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. In the article, I think they talked about how some cases just don't get much publicity. And that's why either we are not aware of it or mm -hmm. other police officers or other police precincts might not be aware of them. So as I said, for example, in the case of Morlito alias Wawai, Toledo of Cebu and Armando from Negros, the locals knew about it. People from neighboring towns or maybe neighboring cities might have known about it. But when it happened back in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, we in Davao never heard about it. In, yeah. Somebody from Manila would not have heard about it. And I think because local media do not really think that it might be worth reporting on, on a national platform, sort of in national news, maybe the local journalists might also not pass it on to sort of the larger reporters or news outlets in ABS or GMA. Yeah. And so it, it stays local. And I think the disadvantage of that is that, first of all, we don't know about them. We can't be warned about them. We don't know about their behavior. We cannot learn from their behavior. So we don't really learn much about serial killing enough to be vigilant in our own community. And even in a large area such as Metro Manila, sort of the national capital region, even in the local pockets, there might be some serial killing going on. But because it's such a big area, it's such a big region, again, the publicity might not be there. They could just be talking about it. The media would not even give a damn. Mm -hmm. If the TV stations, if the news papers don't deem it as ratings magnet, if it doesn't give them all the ratings, the sensationalism and all that, they might say, sure, there's a serial killer somewhere in Novaliches or in Pampanga in Cavite, but oh, people are not interested in that, so we're not going to report about it. So yeah. then that's a problem because I think if people are aware that there's something going on in their community, if police are saying, oh, look, 
you know, we found these three bodies and we need you to be very vigilant and very observant and maybe turn into your local chismosa, you know, just to <laughs> just to be your own publicity machine. But yeah, unfortunately, that's it. There's not much publicity going on. Yeah. And also, I think if there's not much publicity, the police are not really incentivized to investigate them as well, right? Yes. Isn't it the case that if something is very popular, then the police are pressured, basically? Yeah. It's like a trial by publicity, kind of. So they need to... Yeah. Actually look into these killers and since there's not enough publicity, then nobody really looks into that. That's a very good point, like the whole being incentivized because I think a lot of the local authorities do not want to appear as incompetent. So they then put all their resources in one case that has all the publicity whilst there are 10,000 other murder cases just sitting on their desks and not getting any attention at all. And I think that feeds to sort of the third reason that the thread or the Esquire Mag article we're touching upon is that, you know, serial killers not being on the police's radar, um, not only due to a lack of publicity, if the media uncovers those um, murders. But also, maybe the police are not sophisticated enough in the Philippines to have that sort of, first of all, the training to suss out, to determine that what they have on their hands is maybe a serial killing. Mm -hmm. And also, maybe they don't have uh, sophisticated systems in place where they communicate with each other. I would imagine, let's say, in the north, there could be like a serial killing happening in Cavite. And maybe the police in Cavite should be talking to all the other neighboring police precincts but I don't know if that is first of all in their training are they actually told that by the PNP head office yeah is there a national database or something right (laughs) yeah is there actually like protocol that you have to tell people in your neighboring precincts look we have these bodies and do you have similar things going on in your neighborhood could you tell us of any telltale signs so we can sort of match it all up and put the puzzles together like the stuff that you see on TV when they start communicating and you're, you know, you're you're on the edge of your seat because finally the police are talking to each other and things are going to get solved. In real life, I do not think that's actually happening with our own <laughs> Filipino police. Because, yeah, probably not. Yeah, because I can imagine if there's something going on where I lived in Davao, mm-hmm. which is so far away from the capital, they're not necessarily communicating with anybody else, sort of yeah. from Visayas or from Luzon. I cannot imagine that happening. I think it's down to resources, training, and just awareness. I do hope that at some point... <laughs> yeah police force in general would come to a point where yeah like you said there should be a database where they can put like several bullet pointed words like suspect would cut hair from victim Mm -hmm. and then as soon as that is put in all these other things just come up like a google search you know yes yes that's just (laughs) wishful thinking for me or is there even like a DNA database? Yes. Because DNA tests cost a lot, I would imagine. So do we even have yes. the budget for that? We probably don't. You know what? I genuinely believe that there is budget for a lot of things, but there is a systemic... This is a whole other podcast, by the yeah. way. <laughs> um, there is a whole systemic problem of corruption and this sort of misuse of public funds. And that's why there could be... It would be wonderful if we could have our own database within the Philippines because then even if the police precincts are not talking to each other, but if there's a murderer in Iloilo who suddenly appears in Davao and leaves DNA specimen or DNA substance, whatever, some trace evidence behind where they could pick up his or her DNA, mm-hmm. they can then start communicating and compare notes and then maybe cooperate and get this guy before that guy kills more people. But like I said, that's a whole larger conversation. I don't yeah. think we have enough time. <laughs> yeah. And who who actually would stop that guy from like killing in another place, right? Like maybe this guy who lives yeah. in Cavite, but like he travels for business and he goes to Cebu and then he kills there. Like yes. they can't make the connection because they they don't talk so maybe like two crimes or more seem like they're you know he he could make it appear as though it's like a crime of passion or like somebody just um uh, yes stole money or a cell phone from the person but actually it was a serial killing you know so we don't know or they don't know because nobody is cross-referencing them. Definitely. And we've already talked about how they can be very smart. And if they know, they can make the system work for them. You know, the police system, the broken police system in the Philippines, they can make it work for them in that, as you said, oh, you know, if I if I normally use a knife, let's just use some blunt object for the next killing. You know, you can totally do that. Uh, but let's not give your audience an idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I hope no serial killers are listening to this and getting ideas from us and no. suddenly it's our fault. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure if there are serial killers listening to this, they probably already got ideas from other more popular serial killers and not us. So I think it wouldn't fine. be from us, you know. <laughs> So I think we can have a clean conscience about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the reasons that you gave, right? They're saying that perhaps there are actually a lot of serial killers in the Philippines. It's just that we don't know that they are serial killers. Yeah. I'll go to the next reason that was in the thread, which is most Filipinos don't have basements or enough space <laughs> to kill victims or store dead bodies. <laughs> Okay, um, I guess, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny, but, you know, there's some point to that because in in, you know, in the yeah. U.S. or in these other countries where there are serial killers, some of them have a murder room, which is soundproof. Mm. So, you know, they, they mm. can kill a lot of people without anybody hearing the screams and all this, right? Mm. Or even if there's no murder room, the house and lots in the U.S. are like way bigger than in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. The neighbor is miles away. So that is why they could get away with it. In the Philippines, it's usually not the case. Usually, you know, you're corral to corral, <laughs> you know, you're wall to wall with your neighbors, right? Sure. And and also, a lot of people in the Philippines live with multi-generational families. So how could you mm. have space to commit murder without anyone noticing? Exactly. If it's not your family, like <laughs> your niece or your parents or your neighbors, I mean, somebody is going to notice, right? Like, like, there really isn't enough space. Where, where would you even do such a thing? And basements, I I don't really know a lot of people with basements, actually, now, now that this is mentioned. So, yeah, maybe maybe that, that could be a reason. Yeah, I think yeah could be Come valid. to think of it. I mean, <laughs> I've got one high school friend in Davao, and I think she's the one that who I know from all my high school friends who's, who's got a really big house. And all the rooms are used. All the rooms are occupied. There mm. is always something. So I was like, yeah, it's unlikely that, you know, <laughs> somebody could be doing something really criminal in one of these rooms because, you know, they're either filled with, you know, the Lola, the auntie, the baby, the other child, and then the other child. Like, all the rooms are occupied. So there is something to this, even though I said it was funny. The point being made here about basements, and it's true for a lot of Filipino homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And maybe it's a good thing. So maybe <laughs> please don't start building basements for the sole purpose of not having anything there, you know? <laughs> So, yeah, um, I'm just pleading with Filipino architects like, okay, (laughs) don't start building basements. (laughs) (laughs) But whoever would ask the architect to build one could make an excuse if it's a soundproof basement. Oh, I just want this to be a karaoke room. And then (laughs) (laughs) then you have an excuse. And you know what? If I were an architect, I would totally believe that. Because I'm like, sure, yeah. yes, of course. We yeah. love karaoke. <laughs> exactly, right? Okay, I hope you aren't giving ideas again to, you know. <laughs> oh my goodness, what are we doing here? We're setting up, we're setting up your listeners. <laughs> So the next reason in that thread was that maybe, maybe we Filipinos are just mentally healthier and happier. And that's why there is no urge or need to kill. And I think the original Reddit poster or author said that because the Philippines is always sort of on a higher happy or resilient index. So we are always being seen as very happy, resilient, jovial. You know, we're always being seen as very hospitable people, you Mm -hmm. know, that we might just be mentally healthier and happier than other people. Mm. And I just have, you know, with all due respect to, I think his original name was J. Patrick's one. So whoever you are, (laughs) sir, I would respectfully disagree. It's just sort of a still lacking understanding of, as I already said in the beginning, of Mm -hmm. mental health crimes still happen in the philippines you know it's not like (laughs) we don't have any crimes at all you know we're just focused on serial killing here but we have mass crimes we have a lot of sort of serial rapes as well we have a lot of assaults Mm -hmm. we still have them you know i think this whole picture of filipinos being happier or resilient it's a very positive thing it's a good sell when it comes to like uh maybe in the tourism industry and Mm -hmm. it's a good way to sort of have a general picture of how Filipinos are but it also works against us in a way because it makes us think that maybe things are in some aspects better in the Philippines or not but it's not really Mm -hmm. mental health talk is still largely very much taboo as I said we are very much still embarrassed talking about it the reason why we might appear resilient and happier on the outside is because we like to keep things to ourselves you know 
like keep it to yourself, keep it within the family. And then, although having said that, we do resort to other unhealthy coping mechanisms. Like a lot of people drink, a lot of people might end up doing drugs, a lot of people end up being aggressive, maybe towards their spouses. You know, I think mental health is not the problem here. So not everyone who ends up killing in a serial way, so not, you know, not all serial killings are perpetrated by people who are necessarily super mentally ill. Mm. There might be something there, but it's not necessarily like, oh, you know, you're severely mentally ill and your mental health is super suffering. And that's why, you know, you're killing all these people and you're a serial killer. So that's not necessarily true. But also people who are maybe predisposed to have no empathy, no sympathy, no human emotions in a way that those who we might consider as psychopath or sociopath or maybe more psychopaths, those people do not necessarily end up killing. They could just be uh, psychopaths. Yeah paths existing in the world, you know, and trying their best to be sort of fruitful and contributing members of the community. So mm -hmm. it's not necessarily true either way. And if you are a sociopath, and a lot of sociopaths do end up, can end up being serial killers, that's not true that for, for everybody who is a sociopath, you know, you could uh, just yeah. be a sociopath and not just want to deal with people and just keep to yourself and that's it. Yeah, is it called high-functioning sociopath, I think? That means they can blend into society, yeah? Yeah, and exactly. Exactly. And a lot of maybe psychopaths out there who, you know, do not necessarily end up hurting people, they might be super aware that they are psychopathic. Mm -hmm. And then they are super aware that they might have, they could have the tendency, but they don't do it. They choose not to do it. And they get therapy. And they get they train themselves and they integrate into community. And yeah, so that's, I think, whoever posted mm -hmm. this one has a very sort of basic <laughs> understanding yeah. of mental health and might might want to portray us as mentally better than others but really we're just like every yeah. other human being on earth we have our mental health issues and we have to start opening up about it and talking about it and maybe go to therapy <laughs> just a general PSA. <laughs> yeah that's true but maybe what he should have argued instead like instead of saying that there's no mental health issues like there are no psychopaths yeah. in the philippines what he should have argued i think is that even if there was someone who is psychopathic in the philippines maybe his close-knit community you know it's the nature versus nurture debate right like if he if he grew up in a family that is good that provides him with love and all this then that would be the reason why he does not act on it like you mentioned right and that is why yeah, he is a high functioning psychopath because of this so maybe mm -hmm. that is more the argument not saying that there are no yeah. psychopaths in the philippines because i'm sure we do it's just that maybe yeah, the environment there's a predisposition to try to rein it in and not kill people <laughs> Yeah, and I think you made a very good point about sort of the conditions. We do have to say, like, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. Yeah. D isn't a psychiatrist psychologist. So we're just sort of ruminating about things here. But I, I can definitely say that even though you're born a certain way, you, you could have like twins, right? I think there's there's actually a study about this. I'm not even sure. Hopefully somebody can correct me about this. But, <laughs> okay. You know, there was a study or there's like a theory about twins, both being born, one put in an abusive home, one put in a very loving home, you know, they can grow up to be very different people or they can grow up to be very very similar despite the conditions that they're put in so it's really about a lot of variables there is actually a documentary on netflix uh, i forgot what it's called but it's about triplets <gasps> oh yes I remember that. you saw that did you i, I thought i found that yeah. fascinating so these three guys they were given up at birth by their mother but then they were deliberately put into three different homes and the three different mm -hmm. homes are like very different from each other like yeah one of them ended up having probably mental health issues he killed himself yes not he all of them himself. did that yeah that's a nature versus nurture debate which you're talking yeah. about exactly because yeah. they have the same genes you know they're a split exactly. dna right Exactly. And yet, yeah. they ended up different. I mean, they had similarities. Obviously, they looked exactly the same as each other and had similarities in some tastes. And they even mentioned they all like Marlboro cigarettes. But that could just be like a product of the time, right? Maybe Marlboro was mm -hmm. the most popular cigarette exactly. at the time or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the end, the way they were nurtured by their families who adopted them really played mm -hmm. a role in how they ended up. Yes. 
how they how they eventually also interacted with each other once they were reunited and when they discovered that they were actually a part of this big science experiment which is by the way very unethical but you could see that they you know they had a different approach to life and like you said one of them was so full of his own demons in a way that he mm-hmm. ended up killing himself you could be like the most mentally healthy most wholesome person born into the most wholesome family and still when you grow up if you if you are met with trauma for example if somebody mm-hmm. ends up hurting you or if you are knocked on the head by you know when doing sports mm-hmm. things like that all these little variables that you think would not change you could change you you know yeah you know about the studies about the nfl players the concussions and all oh that. yeah yeah isn't there a movie about you know? that by will smith yeah. or something will smith yeah and there is there's also a documentary about this guy aaron hernandez and they think that because he was concussed since the age of 14 or 15 it might have contributed to him killing somebody 10 15 oh, years later and also him feeling like he could not be free in what they think is his homosexuality but that's not confirmed mm-hmm. so that all these things compounded being so successful so young growing up with he could have been born very normal right like yeah. everything neurotypical very healthy mm-hmm. but then if you were concussed since the age of 15 until you're 20 something if you're in an abusive home if you've had so much success so young that you don't know how to deal with it all of that put together and then it's a perfect storm to later on in, in you becoming maybe a murderer and in the end he did and oh, you know it's a sad story but yeah. I, you know <laughs> have a look mm-hmm. at it on Netflix the last reason that uh, was on the list was that we're too busy trying to survive to have time for hobbies like serial <laughs> killing, which again sounds yeah, funny, yeah. but it was actually a comment named by a Redditor named I Hate Burgers. Oh, Nothing to do with the comment, but funny name. Anyway, he said that his college professor suggested that there supposedly aren't any known serial killers in the Philippines because the quality of life of most Filipinos is so poor that murders are normally done to fulfill basic needs, which is usually for money. Mm-hmm. So most people are too busy trying to get by on a day-to-day basis to have time to think of crazy ways to kill others for self-gratification. Which probably makes a bit of sense, right? Like if, if you're, you don't even have any money, you know, you're busy trying to make ends meet. Why would you have yeah. like a lot of time on your hands to be <laughs> killing exactly. people? No. Even if you want to kill people, you probably don't have the time to do it. Yeah, and you're exhausted from hard work. And I think it does. I, I only had to smile and giggle a little bit because the, the way that it was formulated in the thread, I guess we're too busy to survive people. We <laughs> don't have time to serial kill. That made me <laughs> chuckle a little bit. But if you look deeper into it, it does have a lot of merit. And you're right. I mean, I I can think of one serial killer who was so sophisticated and invested so much money, had so many resources invested in his killing. It included driving and flying everywhere. And we're talking about the United States, a big, big country. So his name is Israel Keys. He's been known to kill at least four, but maybe more than that, maybe 13 or 14 people. He would just randomly drive to far-flung places get on the plane or you know gonna get in the car and he would bury his killer kits or kill kits so essentially buckets with his murder paraphernalia if you'd like to put it that way Mm -hmm. and he would just bury them in random places and these are places that he literally had to like you know buy a plane ticket for or invest so much gasoline (laughs) into your car just to bury that thing in there and maybe in two years you're going back and you just kill somebody and I cannot think of anybody in the Philippines like your average Filipino to have that time that (laughs) patience that money to like randomly go to like oh yeah I'm a guy from let's say what's the no- more, most northern part I- Apari oh, yeah Apari <laughs> Apari yeah <laughs> Let's just randomly get on a plane, go bury some kill kit in Pangasinan, and then just two years. No, we don't have yeah. time. No, what's the time? What's the money? To... Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate burgers. You were you were right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and why do you hate burgers? Uh, burgers are delicious. I know that's off, you. <laughs> off topic. <laughs> So that's the list, right? But do you have any other reason that you can think of? I think in several variations of that list that we talked about, because the the Reddit thread did grow into its own sort of institution in a way in different (laughs) articles. I think one thing that was added at some point was religion, because we are 
80-88% um, Catholic and there's some other Christian denominations. And apart from that, we do have a big Muslim community, a big Hindu and Buddhist community as well with our Filipino Indians and Filipino Chinese communities. And I agree that in every religion, there's some sort of, if you want to call it a code of conduct, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, where you're basically being told, you know, more or less that like you have to live a morally ex- acceptable life, like be kind, don't kill, love instead of hate. But the thing about that is we've seen it over and over again with not only serial killers, by the way, just like criminals in general, that religion is not necessarily a deterrent, yeah. but it can be a motivation for committing crimes. The guy that I've just cited, Israel Keys, he was a, de- I think he was a devout, I hope, I hope I'm right here, but he was a Mormon, essentially. Oh. They're very strict in their teaching. Their uh, morals are really high. So the moral code uh, code of conduct is sort of really very strict. And yet, you know, you have this guy who would, like I said, invest so much money and time to travel over all over the country. But maybe he snapped. Like, you know, if you know how it is, right? If your parents yeah. are too strict, the moment you have a chance, you will actually go and do everything that your parents told you you shouldn't do. So maybe same thing happened to yeah. him. Could be. And I think that Bundy also got baptized into the Mormon church. You're right. Yeah, I think he already started killing somewhere and then he transferred somewhere to Utah, which is like Mormon central, you know, he did get baptized, I think there. But yeah, it didn't deter him. You know, he was already killing before that and he still killed during and after. So that could be an additional reason because like a lot of Filipinos have internalized that sort of Catholic code of conduct or Christian code of conduct. I do believe that. But in general, I wouldn't say it's a deterrent. Like people people will kill whether or not, you know, <laughs> whether yeah. or not religion is there. Or not, yeah, you know? <laughs> but I guess the the more religious people, even if they commit crimes, like we mentioned earlier, the crimes that are common in the Philippines are like out of desperation, like money. Yes. Maybe if you're a religious person, somehow you would like feel like you can justify that. Like I did this because I need money. I need to feed my family, that kind of thing. Whereas serial killing is like just killing for fun. So maybe that's the line. Yeah, I I see. I see what you mean there. Because, you know, going back to we're too busy trying to survive. If I'm a desperate father wanting milk for my baby, sure, I'll I'll go and rob a Sari Sari store. Not for my gratification, like serial killers would kill for mere psychological gratification. I'll do this. I'll, I'll commit theft or robbery because it's the lesser of two evils. Like yeah. either I let my baby go hungry or I get that milk and then maybe go and go to prison. But at least I'm getting the milk for my baby, you know, and a religious person is definitely able to do that. Yeah. They would think that God would probably forgive me for this if I tell the priest. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. forgive me for but this. In a, in a way, I think, <laughs> I, I, think, I think a cousin of mine long time ago would say, would say that God may forgive me and not necessarily the law. The law might still want to. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. But I can always ask God for forgiveness. <laughs> and I think that that's one way to rationalize it in your head. And it's very interesting, you know. <laughs> so I guess to conclude this, I don't know if you've heard of this. It's a serial killer or psychopath test. Have you heard this? Oh. Can I test it on you? <laughs> Yeah. Let me just go through the whole thing and then let's give the listeners a chance to also think of their answer. Oh, exciting. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Okay, so this is the question. So it is a story about a girl. While at the funeral of her own mother, she met a guy whom she did not know. She thought this guy was amazing so much, her dream guy she believed him to be, that she fell in love with him then and there. A few days later, the girl killed her own sister. What is her motive in killing her sister? Oh, I'm giving you some time to think about it. In the meantime, the listeners can also <laughs> think about their answer, right? So, okay. yeah. Yeah, just think. Okay. So they have an answer? I bet they have an answer now. I could think yeah. of a few things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why don't you tell me your, your answers then? All right. Because I'm a very dramatic person. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> I think, I think that the girl ended up killing her own sister Mm -hmm. because she found her sister in bed with the new guy. Okay, okay. So crime of passion, if I understood that correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think that's also the answer that I thought of when I first heard this question. Yeah. And congratulations, you are not a psychopath because that is not the correct answer. I was worried there for a moment. <laughs> I too was worried for myself when I first heard this. So the answer apparently that the psychopath would think of is she was hoping the guy would come to her sister's funeral. <gasps> <laughs> 
What? So, yeah. So, if you thought that answer, then you're a psychopath, according to this test. I, but apparently, it's not really like, it's not just one question that determines whether you're a psychopath or not. Apparently, it's like a list of, you know, it's like personality tests or any kind of disease, really. Oh. You have to have a list, I suppose. And if you answer most of them, the psychopath way, then that's when you become a psychopath. So maybe not necessarily. I, mean, <laughs> I can see the thought process, but I'm really worried about that. Like if 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 your listeners are 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 looking at themselves in the mirror and are like, oh, I really thought of that second answer D gave. I'm like, oh shoot. <laughs> <laughs> if they thought of Be that, worried. then they should reflect on themselves. Like, did I do? No get therapy, please. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or, or tell someone close to you to keep an eye on you to make sure that you yeah. don't do anything. Anything you know? <laughs> oh my god! I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna copy paste this uh, whatever because I know you put it in our little Google Doc. It's so fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. You could really also put that on your podcast if you want. And I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely try to sneak that in um, whenever yeah. I can. Um, and I'm gonna send it to the family. Everybody has like a family WhatsApp group chat. I'm gonna put that in there. So I'm gonna find out who's the serial killer within the family. <laughs> <laughs> and stay away from that person who answered correctly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, thank you so much for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a fun question. Well, so yeah, oh, I guess goodness. that's the end then. Um, we have actually discussed a lot, which is very interesting. Like, yes. I learned a lot in this, and this was a very fun discussion. So, I guess to conclude this, um, I guess we would like to tell our listeners that, you know, I hope we haven't given ideas to people who want to be serial killers, first of all. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it, guys. Don't do it. But second of all, if you are not a serial killer, then you know you should continue being wary and being chismosa. (laughs) Yeah. So so if you notice that your neighbors are acting weird, please tell everyone. Yeah. So it's good to be chismosa after all. So be chismosa. Thank your local chismosa. Show them some love. Give them something more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> to end this, um, I would like to turn the mic over to you. Can you invite the people to listen to your podcast? So as I mentioned earlier, uh, Christine actually has her own podcast, which is about true crime. Yeah. But this is specifically for Filipino crimes. So that's interesting, right? Like there are things that you probably don't know about. I've definitely learned a lot of interesting stories from your listening to your podcast. So well, thank you. So tell them about where to find you. If you like true crime, definitely give Lagim, a Filipino true crime podcast, um, a listen. I publish stories every other Friday and they are narrated by me. So I don't do any dramatizations or fancy voices. It's just me narrating stories into your ear directly. I feature stories that are infamous, so stories that you might have heard growing up. I grew up in the 90s in the Philippines, and so uh, stories like Magi de la Riva, Visconde Massacre, all those uh, things that might have some sort of quote-unquote pop culture relevance to the Filipino culture. I've covered some of them. I'll be covering some more. I also like to deep dive into smaller, lesser-known cases that people might not necessarily know about, but they're always interesting. I can be found on Instagram at Lagim Podcast. So I post regularly. So yeah, if you like true crime, if you're on the fence about true crime, give Lagim Podcast a go, a try. Really. Thank you so much for letting me plug. <laughs> yeah, of course. And thank you so much for coming on and discussing this. I really had fun. Me too. And that's it then. So bye for now. <laughs> if you like this episode, you might also be interested in episode seven. Press Wong's real? We may not have serial killers, but we do have creepy creatures from the Philippines. Aswang, Mangkukulam, Tik-Tik, Manananggal, Tikbalang, Sikbin, Tiyanak, and White Lady. Please follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening! <laughs>